Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast as uh, we begin conference play across all the fall sports here. Um, you can feel the air kind of drying out. The, the, the sky's a little bluer. It's starting to, fall is starting to creep our way. We're getting more hurricanes out in the Atlantic. It's, it, it's, it's, cra- it's getting crazy out here. It's getting late in the year. Jeff Jaron, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy um, joining you here. Um, gentlemen, any truth to, uh, to the rumor that, any, that uh, Danny White called you to schedule you for a, for a home and home or no? Not, that's not a good joke, Jeff. No, it's a terrible joke. Let's just leave that one out. No, um, I, yeah, why don't we just talk about the historical impact of this show? This is <laughs> the first ever in the history of the Black and Gold Banneret. I don't know, how, Jeff, how many years Black and Gold Banneret podcast has been on? We started this in the, 2016. 2016. This is the very first show that Brian Murphy has been a part of after a UCF football regular season loss. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. I, I think I think I think this I think too much has been made of this. I think really way too much has been made. Well, of this. well, that's not going to stop us from blaming you for it. Uh, we are blackandgoldbanneret.com, SB Nation's home for UCF sports, uh, and uh, we you can follow us on Twitter at uh, UCF underscore banneret. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy. Follow us at facebook.com slash blackandgold. Banneret. We've got a lots, uh, lots to talk about here. Um, some scheduling news for football, which we'll break down for you. We'll also put a bow on UCF's first regular season loss since the end of the 2016 season, 35-34 against Pitt, which we broke down um, post game on our uh, on our new uh, post game video uh, webcast um, called Night Shift. Make sure you check that out if you haven't yet. Um, also look ahead to the UConn game. We have a special guest, Aman Kidwai from the UConn blog. Uh, one of our uh, SB Nation brethren joins us uh, to talk about you know UConn football post leave uh, the announcement that they're leaving the American and going Indian football and taking everything else to the Big East. So lots to talk about there. But let's dive in actually with um, the big news uh, that broke earlier. Today we'll start on a positive note, everybody. For that's just for you. Uh, UCF uh, has announced additions to their football schedule. So uh, couple a couple notes on this. They actually kind of they actually kind of repackaged some earlier announcements. To be honest with you, um, but <clears throat> uh, here's what you need to know: UCF is adding a home and home with Boise State home in 2021. On the on the blue turf in Boise in 2023, uh, they are adding a home and home with BYU home in 2023. By the way, UCF and BYU have played home and homes before, uh, and uh, in Provo in 2024, and then also the 2024 game against North Carolina has been moved to 20. Uh, that's the road game at North Carolina has been moved to 2027. So it's North Carolina in Orlando in 2020 and 2025 in Chapel Hill in 2027. So, Murph, we'll start with you. Um, Obviously, this has been getting uh, quite a bit of uh, positive news, actually, uh, both from the national press um, and uh, and a lot of excitement among the fans from what I've been seeing. Um, This just seems to be a match made in heaven. UCF and Boise State, two of the darlings of the non- autonomous five conferences right 
Yeah, I mean, the narrative of, you know, Boise State blazed the trail that UCF is now trotting, basically. The the lower conference underdog that upsets the apple cart, uh, you know, really. And so to see them face off um, is going to be really attractive, I think, for for viewers of, you know, for just people who like college football. Because that, that story, it, it will still be, it, it should still be present in two years. So um, I think that matchup jumped off the page, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that I'm looking forward to seeing some blue turf in four years. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, by the way, the first game in 2021, it's the the day and time are listed as to be determined week one, which tells me that UCF might be holding out to maybe have that on a weeknight to start the season in 2021, which I think would be very interesting. Yep. How about you, Lopez? That's a winner. Jeffrey's a winner. Uh, yes, I agree with that. By the way, in fact, that's the same thing for the North Carolina game next year, if you notice. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, that's also TBT, TBD week one. Uh, if I had to bet money, I would not be surprised if both of those games are either a, uh, in those respective years or on Thursday night or Friday night, especially the Carolina one with Mac Brown back at North Carolina. Uh, I could see, you know, they kind of like what ESPN used to do with Steve Spurrier at South Carolina where it seemed like he was on every Thursday night to start the season every year at South Carolina. I could see something similar to that with North Carolina and Mac Brown. So it wouldn't surprise me if that Carolina game is on Thursday or Friday. And Boise State plays a ton of weeknight games as is. That's part of the package they yeah. get with ESPN. So it would not surprise me at all if the Boise State-UCF game is also a Thursday or a Friday night game in particular where you're the only game in town that night. So – uh, and maybe even Monday night, depending on what, what else's options are 2021. Um, so I, I think that's a natural. Brian brought up all the reasons why it's appealing, but I think it's appealing for the fan bases, right? Because I kind of feel a little – there's a little animosity here, right? Because I think some – I think UCF fans resent the fact that Boise State kind of gets held to a different pedestal than UCF, at least in UCF's eyes, where, like, people are like, man, you should schedule like Boise. And you Look at Boise, what they've done. And UCF's like, well, we're just as good, if not better, and we've scheduled just as well. So I feel there's a little uh, animosity from that standpoint from both sides of that. And I think Boise's like, you guys do all this talking. We've been there, done that. So I think it creates some interesting chemistry there uh, that I think could be exciting. Both programs have been very successful, and I think it's different, and it'll be fun. So I think that's the headliner. Um, which is funny to say that, considering there's two teams from the ACC on the schedule. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for it. I just hope that these two programs maintain the level of success that they've had, you know, through this mm-hmm. year, through next year. I mean, there's no reason to think that they won't, but you know, you never know. Um, yeah, especially when well, you that... get out to 2023. You know, it's and that isn't that always the challenge, right, Murph? You know. Yeah, this is like this is like that is the main story out of all of this. Like, yes, these matchups are outstanding. To, I mean, well, certainly the boys' is very very appealing on paper, and really, you know, most of these are. But your only hope is that once these games are played, when you get to this date, that both these teams are good, and it just so happens that UCF hasn't had good luck in that department with their P5 scheduling. They scheduled Stanford, you know, right in 2014. Uh, they were coming off a huge season, and now Stanford now doesn't look like, doesn't look like a great win this year. Uh, you know, they scheduled Louisville, who was a 9-8, 9-win team. Now they've completely bottomed out. Uh, and this goes with Georgia Tech and North Carolina as well. They scheduled them at better points in those programs' histories. I believe 
They scheduled North Carolina right when they were coming off the Orange Bowl, I believe. Um, yeah. And and now it's like, well, they're not that great. So your your only hope when you schedule these things is that these teams will be good. And unfortunately, people lose sight outside of Orlando. You lose sight that no one can control that really. Yeah, it's no, it's a lot like buying that's... a stock, right? You know, I mean, you're you're buying lows, hoping that you buying buying high so that you can at least hold or sell high, right? And you don't you don't want to take a loss on this one. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say the one thing that minimizes some of that is, for example, the Boise State game in 2021. That's the first game of the year, so and that's going to give you a good TV time slot, regardless. Like you know, regardless of how either team does the rest of the way, that's going to get you good exposure that first weekend. So I think that kind of helps, you know, eliminate some of that. The thing that hurts Stanford's situation that Brian brought up is that we saw Stanford a couple games and we're like, oh, they're not really that good in yeah. a lot of some of these cases. So that sometimes that hurts you when it's during the year. The fact that it's the first game of the year is going to excite a lot of people and, you know, and it'll bring a lot of interest. And, you know, we'll see. And Boise, by the way, has been very, very good for about 20 years. So, I, you know, <laughs> I mean – if, if, if you're going to find somebody that's pretty consistent, that's a good bet right there. And, you know, maybe BYU's on the way up. You know, they're they're having, you know, an interesting year. They've beaten Tennessee and they've beaten USC. So you wonder if they're turning things around. And then, you know, the, the you got Louisville, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, all with new coaches. So how is Mac Brown going to do at North Carolina? How is Jeff Collins, who we know very well, going to do at Georgia Tech? And then uh, how is Satterfield going to do at Louisville? It remains to be seen. So let's look at this from the UCF perspective, and I, and I want to take a look at the future non-conference um, opponent schedule. So um, right now for 2020, UCF is home for North Carolina at Georgia Tech, TBA against FIU. There's still one slot open. I'm, I'm under the assumption that they're going to try and get an FCS opponent in there. Um, there's still a slot for an FBS opponent in 2021, only two non-conference games are scheduled. That's Boise and then at Louisville two weeks later. 2022, you've got Louisville and Georgia Tech coming here back-to-back weeks. That's going to be that's going to be something in 2022. And then, of course, at FIU. Actually, I've got it two weeks apart. It's September 10th for Louisville and the 24th for Georgia Tech. So okay, yeah, that's right. You're right. Okay, um, could be a buy in there. Yeah, yeah, there could, yeah, there could be a buy in there. And the FI and then the FIU game is at FIU September the. First, which I th- I'll have to double check what day of the week that is, but um, I think it might be a Thursday. That's, that's uh, like a week. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I read that. Because there's that, ten days between that and Louisville, so yeah. uh, twenty three. You have you have two openings, and this again, this is assuming UCF. Um, you know, one of those openings is going to go to an FCS team at Boise, and then the BYU game at home is set for Veterans Day, November the eleventh. So it's a late season game. Which leads me to believe that what we did, what UCF did last year with UConn opening the season, um, they're going to open the season possibly with a conference game in 2023. Um, there's still three slots available in 2024 and 2025 and 2027. My question is, you haven't seen any, uh, you have three games scheduled in 20, three games scheduled in 22. Are they kind of holding the door open to see what the American does with UConn leaving and the divisions going away? Like, could there be a possibility that the American goes to nine conference games? Uh, Don't you answer your own question on that? I believe you have your own answer on that. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I now Carnet Evans. Oh, I thought I thought you've been in the camp of that they will. No, I, I well, I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't. I think they are scrapped. Well, they're definitely scrapping divisions, but I don't know if they're going to go to nine conference games. Carnet Evans tweeted yeah. me back. He said, he said has to be eight. Mathematically impossible to have nine conference games with an 11 team conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's entirely true. I haven't, I haven't busted out the TI-83 yet, but um, <laughs> is it, is it, is, is, first of all, is it mathematically impossible? And second of all, uh, now I know that there's, there are leagues that have nine conference games. There's, uh, now Pac-12. it wouldn't be, now it wouldn't, right. The Pac-12 does it. I think the Big Ten does it too, right? No, the Big yep. 12, yeah, I'm sorry. So. Um, Big but you can do, that with an 11 team conference and then just have one team that you just don't play every year. <laughs> I mean, it's well, here's the thing. I, 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 let me just say this. Cause Danny White appeared. He's, you, you did obviously open Mike with Mike Bianchi. He's also was on with Scott Inez locally on five ESPN five eighty, And I believe, and I'm going to paraphrase this cause I think somebody even mentioned it to me as well. And I thought I heard the same thing. I think Danny White mentioned that they were booked. They were complete from now to 2023. I believe that's what it would say. So if that's the case, then they probably already have, you know, 2020. And I was talking to Murph about this off air. They might have a home and home schedule with someone either at 2021 and 2023. We just don't know who that is yet. Right. Uh, there's speculation Brandon Helwig that. hinted so that, at that, by the way, after they made this announcement that there's more coming. But we've heard that yeah, for UCF how many Sports. months now? Is very old. Brandon Helwig, just for proper uh, recognition of the legendary Brandon Helwig. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's the point. Just because they announced these now doesn't mean they don't have other stuff already booked. I mean, the Boise thing's been, you know, speculated for a while. And, and yeah. you know, and it just, you know, BYU you too. Yeah. And the funny thing about the BYU one is that kind of got complete because Florida announced they were having a home and home with Utah. And Utah agreed to it. And Utah and BYU agreed to kind of not play during that time frame, which freed up. BYU to play UCF so it's funny how one other series can affect the other and that's sometimes what delays some of these decisions so um, I don't think it means we're going to go nine conference games I, I don't even I don't you know I think they might have something already planned out we just don't know yet what it is and who will it be uh, from that standpoint especially since the way the schedule kind of plays out they're pretty flexible they have a home and away game scheduled for 2021 and 2023 so they could go Either way, I guess how they want to do it, yeah. but I, I don't think nine games is the, the necessarily the the plan there. I thought you were going to bring up is UConn a possible schedule filler? Yeah, that's they're going to need. That's now, another one that's been brought. Th- up. There was some chatter about that brought up that UConn has at least um, discussed the possibility of getting on UCF schedule when they go independent. Are you guys in favor of that? Like, would that be a no. good move? No. <laughs> not, not, not at all. Yeah, no. I mean, nothing against UConn. Right. Well, actually, maybe it isn't. All right, moving on. Um, so I guess we're just going to have to wait and see now if anything else does drop. Um, at least the first part of it has dropped, and we're going to wait and see what, what the rest of it comes in. Real quick, I, I'll just give you guys uh, – I'll let you guys get let you guys predict. Um oh! Just real quick, uh, let's say UCF announces one more home and home. Which conference do you think that team will be from? And Eric, I'll start with you. Pac-12. Okay. Yes, Brian. Pac-12. Hmm. Interesting. 
Uh, by the way, I should amend something. I should amend a previous statement. They scheduled Georgia Tech after their Orange Bowl appearance. North Carolina's never been to the Orange Bowl. That's and, right. uh, but North Tech Carolina is- did have a good season, though, right? I, mean, I know that. Right. They did. No, North, when they scheduled North Carolina, they were like eight and nine win teams. But yeah. Georgia Tech is the one that went to the Orange Bowl. When they, right. And they scheduled them that following, I believe, that following April. And now Georgia Tech is losing to the Citadel. Right. So. And, well, just like you, you, well, you mentioned Stanford. UCF scheduled Stanford after they've been to three straight BCS bowl games. So, right. so yeah. By All right. Way, by the way, I, the reason I say Pac-12, you did this in-depth uh, piece this summer. I want to say, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey, where you broke down the whole scheduling issues with UCF and who is available to fill what spots. So you, you did a huge breakdown on who has spots where and things like that, and how many teams have their all their commitments filled and stuff like that, and you know, I kind of, and I was talking to Murph about this as, as a West, former West Coast resident. Um, you know, I was looking, there's a lot of Pac-12 schools that have multiple open spots in those two years. So that's kind of why mm-hmm. I'm, be- I'm betting the odds here and, and thinking to myself that they're going to try to get a second team from a major conference. Because if you look at those two years, 2021, they have Boise State at home. They go to Louisville. In 2023, they have Boise and BYU. And Danny White has said he would like to have at least, what, two Power 5 teams a year in the schedule with right. uh, possibly a G5 and then an FCS. That's kind of the model. So that would lead me to believe they would like to get a quote-unquote Power 5 added to that schedule in those two years. And I think the Pac-12 makes sense because I think the Pac-12 is probably the most available from and more willing to do that. Well, time will tell if that's accurate. I'll I'll give you I'll give you one that you might I'll give you my uh, my thought. You want to know who you want to watch out for right now? All right. Florida State. Florida mm-hmm. State has a lot of openings in the next several years. For both Florida State and Miami, um, in the coming years. So that's something that we should keep an eye. Them, Tennessee. If you're looking for an SEC school, that might be an interesting one. Um, and then uh, and then possibly our friends from Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas fight. What's up? Uh want to give you guys want to give them a shout out. So all right, we're gonna take a break. When we return, we'll talk about the briefly talk about the weekend that was the pit loss, and then look ahead to and then we'll also look ahead with uh, to Yukon with uh, Aman Kidwai of the Yukon blog. Stick around, we'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Eric Lopez with you. Uh, make sure that you follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Um, we're going to continue on with the football talk now. With uh, we're not going to, we, we don't want to, you know, give anybody PTSD or anything here. But uh, we're going to quickly touch upon just the the pit game and the the end of a the end of one streak and possibly the beginning of another. I don't know, but. You know, I, I was kind of like, you know, oh, the regular season streak, because I felt like everyone was talking about the end of the streak with the 35-34 loss to Pitt. Um, but I was like, well, me, I, I kind of didn't really buy that. I was like, well, actually, this, the streak kind of ended with the LSU game, you know, and, and you know, I don't feel so just bad wait, about this. Just but, wait until UCF loses a home game. We're going to have this all over again. Yeah, I know, I know. Or a conference game. Um, the, uh, <laughs> but the, oh, no. What I are know. you doing? Karma. I know. Um, but uh, 35-34 was the final. Um, UCF kind of – Pitt really kind of 
had their way with UCF in terms of the trenches, aside from a 13-minute and 30-second stretch in the third quarter where UCF scored 31 points. Um, but uh, the Knights fell down 21-0, came back, took the 31-21 lead, uh, led 34-28. There was a botched, four, or not a botched fourth down, but a missed fourth down in there where UCF could have gotten some more points but didn't deep in pit territory. And Pitt runs the Philly special on with one minute to go on a fourth and goal inside the five, and they get it, and UCF can't get into field goal range with their final possession. And, of course, this is obviously – well, here's the latest news, is that this is apparently enough of a cause for celebration for Pittsburgh football that they're actually releasing T-shirts about this game. Oh, my goodness. In which – yeah, which, which is you unbelievable. Said special, you said Philly special, Jeff. I've seen shirts that don't say that. Listen, I – listen. the Pitt special because – No, 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 no. Listen, I – I am not calling it the Pitt Special because I'm an aviation fan and there's only one Pitt Special out there and it's an aerobatic biplane. I will leave all it right, at that right, rather right, than, right, rather than nerd you guys out. But anyway. I want to address Murph. I want to address Murph because he's the only one who hasn't publicly spoken. He's written about the game. Yes. And some yes. just thought. But he was actually there in person. I already uh, – Murph – you and look, we were a lot of people were wrong about this game, myself included. I said it on the on the night on the night shift. I ate a lot of crow on Saturday. We were yeah. all wrong about it. We were all dead wrong. So, my question to you, I'm not going to ask you, hey, what happened? Because we know what happened. But which of these things? What what was the most shocking thing to you? Now, if you've had a few days to reflect, because I think you felt like I did, and we didn't think this would be a, a problem game. I did give you credit. You thought the pass rush would give UCF some problems potentially. But what yep. surprised you that, that, that we got about the game? I thought the offensive line play overall, uh, both run blocking and pass blocking, uh, they got worked. They got worked by a, a, an aggressive defensive front that put a lot of different looks toward them. They had guys coming from different angles. They had guys moving along the line. They had linebackers who were basically rushing all day, and they really didn't have a whole op- opportunity to either one stop them from – pressuring or sacking Dylan Gabriel, and they couldn't get a running game going. And it's amazing to think that this offense with these running backs and that O-line can't run the ball effectively, and they just could not. I mean, even when you take out the sack yardage, he had six sacks. You take out the sack yardage, they still barely rush the ball. I think it's for less less than five yards a carry, which for this team is not good. And one of those carries early on in the game went for 36 yards from Adrian Killens. So that, to me, was the most, uh, uh, you know, shocking, whatever. I don't know what, what adjective you want to put on it, but that was, uh, you know, the, the aspect of the game that stood out most. And I will say as well, I remember last week's podcast when we were mocking Jeff Sharon uh, <laughs> about he said he was worried about this game, and me and Elo openly mocked him on this air, and yeah. we are wrong, but that's because sports are weird. Well, I'll get, I'll be defend Jeff. I will give Jeff because Jeff taught. We talked about the point spread, and we and me and we said, "Hey, don't judge it based on what's going on during the week. Judge it by what's going on at the end of the week." Well, Jeff, that's kind of the problem with doing this podcast. When we do it, is we don't know what the final line is, but the number did go down at the end, so there was a lot of late money. That's what I was worried about. Pit. But we didn't know. I can't forecast that. I mean, unless you want us to be meteorologists so and just forecast it and be wrong like 90% of the time. Stop. Stop. Stop go. it with the there weather. There we go. Thank you. Um, Get out of there no, with that. Was, I have to have fun with this. You have to. Um, <laughs> now it's your so, no, Now I, it's your thing. <laughs> uh, Merv, what, what you mentioned unable to run the ball. The thing that surprised me 
the you know I saw a lot of the pit games this year, and this again maybe is a, a, another reminder that you can't judge matchups based on what the, what's happening against other opponents because every game's different. Pitt couldn't run the ball the whole year. They averaged 2.9 yards a carry uh, going into this game. It averaged over six a pop. Any explanation there? What happened there? I know the defensive line just get beat up. Did did we get all caught up in the Stanford game in retrospect? I wonder if this team not I'm not saying they 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 explicitly overlooked Pittsburgh, but I have heard enough from guys this week that makes me think that this team did not approach this game with 100% seriousness. I just believe after a while they might have just thought that they're going to win because that's what they do. And I do want to point out at least a couple of quotes from offensive lineman Jake Brown. He's a senior. He's been here forever. And, but he's also very outspoken. And he, and talked, I talked to him today because I wanted to do a story on the offensive line. And I said, what did you see when you look back at the pit film? And this is what he said to me. I'm gonna, there's, there's two quotes here, and I'll tell you that, that kind of one follows the other. And I'll, and I'll, I'll read you what he said to me. I said, he said, kind of, kind of what you saw in the practice week. A little bit of complacency from everybody is kind of what I felt. I feel like they were more they, that we were more complacent than we should have been. You should never be complacent, but you see it all over the film. To me, that's what I saw. And then he continues later saying, I think that's partially due to some of, and I take credit for this, the leadership for not really working on getting after the guys during the week and just kind of allowing them to be complacent. Same as myself. Man. And... Jordan Johnson talked about how this loss can be humbling because there's a natural feeling once you win so many games that you're just that's your destiny. And I feel like that's what kind of happened here and that's why this team started so slow. I don't know if they really like thought that that Pitt was going to be this much of a threat. And if they did, they sure didn't it, it seems like the players didn't feel like they were acting like it during the practice week. Yeah. Well, well we I think we Otis said Anderson that. said it after the game, right? He, he was like, "Well, yeah. he didn't say yeah. exactly that, but he said we're pissed." And yeah, and, and I and I thought, you know, yeah, we, well, well, a you should be, and b it kind of got me thinking. And Elo, I'm so sorry, but because I want to get to what you said in a second, but it kind of got me thinking. Well, you know, I hate saying it because that a loss is a good thing. Like I like I dislike saying that very much, but. Does this not like snap guys? It's like a share game, right? Snap out of it, and uh, and and snap them back to reality and say, "Hey guys, you can get beat if you're not careful." You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think, absolutely. I think we'll I think we'll learn that about the, uh, early in the UConn game if it did or didn't. Right? I mean, it, it depends on how they come out. Do they come out crisp? Take it to UConn, do, jump on them, dominate early, or are they coming out very? You know, oh, going through the motions, not executing. I think maybe that's where we'll learn something about the UConn game. Like a little Let tentative say, well, or something like that. Right, right, right. Well, let me just say this. As much as I will uh, – we did say in our roundtable article, if people would have read our roundtable, I did bring up it. I know I was not the only one. I think you might have even brought it up too, Jeff, in the roundtable. You're 18 to 22-year-old kids. It's easy to get overconfident when you win a lot of games and look past them, right? You don't come out – Think about it. You played the same team a year ago and blew them out. You probably watched them on tape. They didn't look good. Uh, they didn't impress you, no matter what no. the coaches tell you, right? So, and, and I remember Kyle Israel, who's a former quarterback, was at the game. Uh, Pittsburgh even tweeted he didn't like the vibe on the field, Murph. I don't know if you were on the field uh, 
pregame or not. He felt they weren't, you know, locked in as far as emotionally there. They were kind of passive a little bit, too cool, too cool, if you will. Uh, well, I don't but, know, you know, about that. Thanks for setting me up really well, Eric, because guess who also <laughs> thought that? The players themselves. There you go. <laughs> uh, look, again, talking to Jake Brown and Cole Schneider today, um, and they talked about this game, and I said, because I, I actually mentioned to Cole Schneider a quote from Eric Mitchell, the linebacker, because Eric Mitchell after the game said, it felt like a dream, it didn't feel like real life. And so I asked Cole, because the offensive line has been so successful that if their performance almost didn't feel real, they were struggling so much that it didn't feel real. And he said, it was really different, honestly, even before the game started, just putting my knee braces on, it was just a feeling. I just didn't feel the same as I usually do going out there and playing. Everything just seemed different. It wasn't like a normal game. And then and then Jake Brown, who is beside Cole during this interview, uh, brought it up. And I wanted to say, he goes, and so Jake Brown then said, the game had a weird feel to it. It felt weird walking onto the field. I don't know what it was. I don't know if we were not used to that kind of atmosphere. I'm not sure, really sure but it felt weird going out there. I don't really know personally. I didn't really personally have the same juice as I usually do walking on the field. I don't know if that's wow. me not being prepared myself correctly, or I don't know. It felt different. That's interesting. Yeah. And yet with all that. Bad juju. With that, <laughs> with, and yet with all that, they came all the way back and had a two-score lead in the third quarter, Murph. Okay? And we wouldn't be probably having these conversations if there wasn't three uh, uh, penalties for UCF on that critical drive that nobody talks about, everybody's focused on the play calling and, and all that stuff. I go back to that pit drive, the 31 21, where there was a roughing the passer call. Yeah. Uh, there was a unsportsmanlike call and there was what a pass, uh, pass interference or something other there was, else like that. There was a, there was a taunting call. Yeah, there was a fake pass call and a roughing the passer call. There were three yeah. personal fouls in the span of four plays late in the third quarter of a touchdown drive which I think got Pitt back in the game. If they don't score in that position, I think this game is going the other way. UCF blows them out. So to me, I think that's got to be the most frustrating thing is even with all that, you got all the way back, you took the lead, and then you kind of had some self-inflicted wounds with those penalties in that drive that got Pitt back in the game. And then obviously the offsides call in the last drive on the fourth and five that gave Pitt yeah. an automatic first down to set up the game-winning touchdown. Uh, uh, your thoughts on that, on, on the on the lack of discipline there, because you know a lot of people and you know Jeremy is was vocal about the play calling, but I I'm more I think the 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 the, the penalties to me was a bigger issue than the the play calling. How do you feel about those things? I I, I you know yeah I mean, it was definitely a huge issue. I mentioned it in my in my post game column uh, that drive in in particular in in the third quarter. I mean they basically gave Pitt. 39 free yards at a time which that they had really gotten a good rhythm at stopping that yeah. offense but for me yeah it felt it felt like ucf back. had their foot right on their neck and then let him back up right but for me the person the, the offsides on fourth and five we're talking about a play that if brandon wilson stays on sides and ucf gets a stop there on fourth and five they take over up by six with i think it was like two and a half to go uh, it's a totally different game at that point. I mean, UCF could literally just run the clock out if, if, if maybe for uh, with like two first downs. Um, that that to me sticks out more than even the, the the three penalties and four plays during the late third quarter drive. 
Yeah. Real quick, well, real quick. Any issues with the fourth and two going for it? Uh, there's a lot of discussion about that. UCF had it uh, up three. They, they chose to go for it. Got McCray got stopped a yard short. Uh, I didn't think it was that big of a deal just because Pitt punted. They didn't score. UCF eventually got the field goal. And you can't – I don't like playing the, well, if you would have kicked the field goal there and then a field goal later, that would have made the difference. Uh, right. Some people disagree with that. Some people didn't like the call. They thought they should have run outside, not inside. How do you feel about that whole sequence? Yeah, I, I, I agree that I did not like the call. I don't – I didn't – I'm fine with the fact that they went for it. You expect this offense to pick up two yards on any play on its worst day. So that that's fine. However, as I wrote, the the play call there is sort of like the definition of insanity because <laughs> they hadn't been able to run the ball consistently through the middle of the line all game. So what would give you the impression that now is the time where it actually works? And yeah. so the fact that they just ran a simple inside handoff to McCray off a of right guard, I, I just don't understand that play call at that time. I agree. I agree. Really. With the with the you know with the decision to go for it, the play call was bland as hell. Yeah, uh, it's a read option too, and we broke that one down on the uh, on the night yeah, show, you which you it. can check out. Jeff 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 is the new John Madden of this era. I mean, he just got a telestrator. I got the telestrator out and everything, oh, man. It was good. it was fabulous. I was I I I channeled uh, I channeled my inner Madden on that one, but um, nonetheless, uh, Murph is got impressed to- as you can hear. <laughs> no, no, I love that. I love that because I, I, you know, and they they probably need Dylan. It's not. I, I assume Jeff, when you're doing your X's and O's on on the uh, on your telestrator, did you see if the defensive lineman for that play was crashing early, or like, didn't you see a time in which maybe Dylan could have kept one of these read options? On, on, on the well, we talked about the fourth and two, and and on that play, the the left side of Pitt's defensive line lined up over right guard and right tackle. They they crashed quick, but the outside defensive end on the on UCF's left, Pitt's right, on the far side of the uh, the guy who's on the far side, he went wide and you know not too wide, but wide enough where if Dylan kept the ball and and ran off tackle he he not only would have had a first down he probably would have scored because the two receivers on the left side were engaged with their guys downfield um yeah as it was he 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 gave um it, it looked to me like he was he was pretty dead set on giving the ball to McCray the whole way he didn't even think about about running and and I you know he's going to look at that film and it, it, I was that's why I was saying earlier you know, you live by the freshman quarterback and you die by the freshman quarterback. And I think a more veteran guy would have seen that. You know, I'm not saying that they should pull Dylan Gabriel. What I'm saying is, like, you know, you put somebody else in there and and they're making a well, different decision, you know. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, he's going to make mistakes and, and you got to learn to live with that. But um, By the way, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of times in, in, in general where quarterbacks make the wrong read and nobody notices because the play worked anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if, sure. if, 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 if there, there was and better And UCF may have gotten away with that a lot this season already, too, you know? We don't know. We don't, you know, only they know. We don't know. If, and if 90, you know, 90, 90% of sports opinions are, are are given to us in hindsight. Like, I know, right. we know, we all know what we're doing. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Pretty good. I like that. I'm going to write that down. Um, nonetheless, you got to pick yourself back up, and UCF has UConn this week to start. Um 
to start the conference uh, schedule. UCF is back at home. Ain't nothing like home cooking. With a 43-and-a-half point number. Oh, boy. Um, good luck with that, you, <laughs> de- you degenerates out there. Um, 64 and at 39, a- didn't it? Started at 39, moved up. 39-and-a-half, moved up four points. Uh, Does that make UCF you nervous is- there, Jeffrey? Are you nervous? This is to stay away. I don't like these huge numbers. 66% of the money's on UCF. The over-under 64 and a 64.5%, 65% of it's on the over. Uh, this is uh, this is the final meeting in conference between these two schools. Who knows what happens in the future? But UCF has a 4-2 to two lead. Last loss for UCF to UConn was in 2015. 7 p.m. kick at uh, Spectrum Stadium on ESPN2. Um... We're going to have Amon Kidwai here on in, in uh, just a second when we have a break, but after we have a quick break. But um, just to really quickly set the scene for this game, we're not, this is, we're not expecting anything untoward, are we here, Brian? What do you mean by that? Are you, so you're, you're like basically saying... I'm not thinking there's going to be much of a surprise. This, not, on the, not on the scoreboard unless UCF puts up like 80. <laughs> I, well... I keep going back though to what what Otis Anderson said, and I know I mentioned earlier about he said you know, we're pissed. Um, if that's true, and we have no reason to suspect it's not, God help UConn in this in, in this game, right? I mean, it, are, are we are we thinking? All right, are, are we picking the over or the under here? Well, excuse me, not over and under. Are we picking UCF to cover or no? Um, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. That wasn't that wasn't quite what I was. It's not my money, going, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not saying I would bet the more main mortgage or anything like that. But look, I, I said yeah. it earlier, and I mean it. I do mean this. We'll know early if UCF's locked in, refocus, you know, whatever you want to call it, and come out boom, 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 and it's twenty-eight nothing. You're like, man, they are they are really. Or do they come out through the motions because? You know, or, or is there still some hangover there of a loss? You know, how do teams respond from a loss? I think we said that on the on the night shift show, Jeff. Is it's not how it's not the loss. It's how do you react from the yeah. loss? It's not. It's not problems. whether you get knocked down. It's whether you, it's how you get back up. Right. You know? So I, I want to see how they come out if they come out locked in, focus, and you know, dominate like they should. Or uh, is there some kind of bumps on the road there? And I think that's what we'll learn there. And then I think the other thing, Brian, the quarterback. I mean, we know Gabriel's going to play. He's starting and all that. But who, you know, if this game is a blowout, who's the quarterbacks that come after him? Perhaps that I think that's some intrigue there too. Could we you? see? Could we see Daryl Mack? Perhaps, possibly. But I still think that answer has been given. That answer was given during the Stanford game. That you know, if they do bring in the other quarterbacks, we might see him. But it's nothing like, oh, what does this mean? Like, no, they just want to get him some action. I think really, my my first bet as far as like. Who's the next guy under center for more than one snap? It's probably Quadri Jones again because Quadri Jones is a mop-up guy. Interesting. Uh, other games like in the American. Uh, Navy-Memphis, a good Thursday night matchup on ESPN at 8. Uh, Temple is home for Georgia Tech in the Jeff Collins Bowl. That's on CBS Sports Network. Um, uh, 3.30 on Saturday. All the rest of these games are Saturday. 4 o'clock, SMU is at USF on ESPNU. Cincinnati's at Marshall. That game can be watched on Facebook. Way to go, Marshall. Um, ECU's at Old Dominion on ESPN Plus at 6, and then Houston's at North Texas at 8, also on Facebook. Wow, Conference USA. 
Well, by uh, the way, the over under for this UConn game is is around sixty four and a half. Yeah. So with with a forty three point uh, uh, spread, that basically means that Vegas is predicting a like fifty four to ten kind of game. Okay. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Um, Thanks, Murph. Yeah, we'll write that one down. Um, and then, uh, oh, who's broadcasting the game for uh, for ESPN two? Uh, uh, Eric, do you know? Yes, in fact, if you read uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret.com, it's if it's not out already by the time you're listening to this, it will be out. I did the numbers recap of the pit game, and I mentioned that Roy Philpot, Kelly Stauffer, Jeffrey, one of your favorites, former, former uh, Seattle Seahawk. Yeah, he'll be they'll be on the call alongside Lauren Sisler down on the sideline. That'll be a yeah. ESPN two seven o'clock game going head to head. By the way, with among others, Ohio State and Nebraska. That's going to be a tough that one. Head- that head coach over there at ABC, but so anyway, that'll be the crew there for the uh, the game on ESPN two on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, and then also uh, other games on across from Mississippi State at Auburn on ESPN and Stanford yep. at Oregon State on Pac twelve network. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough slot. That's a tough slot to to be in, but well, especially if it's a blowout, right? Right, and people might click over and. It, it might be like it that. might be interesting to see like let's let's see how pissed UCF really is. Yeah, so. Um, sure. So that'll be a 7 o'clock uh, kickoff, UConn and UCF. When we get back, Amon Kidwai from the UConn blog joins us to talk about um, UConn football post-leaving the American and uh, a lot more to talk about as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. And uh, joining us now to talk about the UConn Huskies is Amon Kidwai. He comes from the the Yukon blog, and uh, we've had him on the show before, so he's a repeat offender. And uh, and thanks again, Amon, for uh, for joining us here uh, once again on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. How are things going up in uh, up in Connecticut? Uh, things are great. Uh, thanks. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having. Me. So let's so let's talk about um, this game a little bit earlier. Uh, well, you know, a little bit, and we'll talk about the big picture with Yukon later, but. Um, I guess what's what's the approach with UConn right now among UConn football fans when we're, when they're looking at this game? Is it is it like you know it, it, I I think of that that uh, that GIF image of Wiley Coyote opening up an umbrella while a bunch of rocks fall on his head is like is that is is that how UConn fans are approaching this or or what's the story? Yeah, I mean. We actually, um, believe it or not, allowed ourselves to get our hopes a little high after looking mildly competent against Illinois uh, in week two. Um, uh, Not that, uh, you know, given everything that had gone down the previous season, the fact that the defense was making some stops and some turnovers and all that was was pretty promising, and then um, actually Randy Edsel made a change at quarterback also that um, it was a true freshman, uh, but he seemed to have a lot more upside than the grad transfer who, who was starting. Um, and then they go into the Indiana game coming off of a bye week and really laid a complete egg on the road uh, over there. Um, again, expectations were not to win that game or, or anything like, you know, or, or anything like that. But, uh, 
obviously you didn't want to see the the big loss in the way that it turned out. And so I think at this point, yeah, you know, everyone's expecting this UCF game. Uh, Knights coming off of a tough loss, uh, opening up conference play, and uh, just just being uh, probably a lot a lot like a reminder of last season, which uh, is unfortunate because we had hoped that um, maybe the Huskies had matured past that stage of of getting like really badly blown out all the time. Who on UConn's team are UCF fans going to look at and say, "Wow, okay, that guy's pretty good. Let's let's keep an eye on him mm-hmm. next." You know, for maybe the NFL draft or something. Well, the NFL draft. So, um, you know, every everyone on this team is a freshman and a sophomore, basically, who's who's playing significant minutes. Um, but I I would say, um, defensively, safety Tyler Coyle is someone he had a pick six against Illinois. He's been starting for, for a couple of years now. Um, he's actually a junior. Uh, he's someone who's who's got great size and athleticism, you know, one of those like six six two, six three safeties, um, and someone who can make plays. Uh, there's a linebacker who's a Notre Dame grad transfer named DJ Morgan who um, – has had a lot of tackles, also been really productive on, on like tackles for loss, force fumbles, stuff like that. So um, he's been able someone that Randy Edsel was able to really plug in there and, and be a dependable starter, obviously on a defense that, that needs all sorts of help. So um, and then on the defensive line, actually, Travis Jones, he's a he's a sophomore, um, but he's pretty he was pretty consistently last year as a freshman on Pro Football Focus's uh, top defensive players, and uh, for, again for his for his age, seems to be doing a really good job. And he's the probably one of the higher rated recruits that that UConn has gotten. He was he was decommitted from Rutgers uh, and ended up going to UConn. So those are a few guys to keep in on the defensive side. Offensively, um, there's Art Tompkins, who's a bo- both of the running backs, Art Tompkins and Kevin Mensa. I would keep an eye on. Uh, or, you know, are, are kind of the standout talents. Um, Tompkins is also a grad transfer. Uh, he is, seems to be your prototypical water bug type, um, you know, quick guy who you can use on the outside and in the passing game really well. Uh, Mensa is really an every down back, uh, especially an in, in between the tackles kind of guy. Uh, but, you know, I think both are really solid. The rest of the offense is pretty. Um, Young and unproven, uh, and that includes true freshman quarterback Jack Zerdiadis, who uh, is actually from Montreal, uh, a recruiting hotbed for the Yukon Huskies, and um, he was not, you know, so going into the season, obviously you're coming off of a 1-11, you know the whole roster is young, there's really not a lot of drama in the offseason or anything like that. But one thing that people were keeping an eye on was this quarterback competition. The Huskies had a pretty good quarterback last year in David Pindell. He's gone. UConn looking for a new starter, and nobody would have picked this guy. Um, <laughs> he was a true he was a true freshman. There's there was the grad transfer from from West Florida, uh, Mike Beaudry, uh, who actually started the opening game of the season, and then there was also a redshirt freshman who just you know you would assume might be ahead of this guy on the pecking order so kind of a surprise but 
Um, he's got uh, he's got a strong arm, and uh, he is pretty athletic. Of course, he's going to have your your typical true freshman uh, gaffes, and he certainly did against Indiana and Illinois. But I think he's someone who, just pure talent-wise, the Huskies haven't had under center, especially as a freshman. So I think that's something where... If you're, a, if you're a Husky football fan, that's that's something that's pretty enticing as well. That's pretty good in depth there. I, I'm curious, what has it been like for the fan base and everybody involved this season here with everything that transpired in the fall, not knowing the future of this football program beyond this year as yeah. far as, you know, what, is, uh, what, what has it been like just to go through this? Yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I think they're, just to give some background, but, you know, the, the – the um, calls to make the move that UConn did make this offseason, the decision UConn made this offseason, the calls have been there since the beginning. They've been there since 2012 when, when the Big East was falling apart. So um, that only grew and grew over the years. And as the team kind of started uh, spiraling under the final years in Diaco and then Randy Edsel tearing it all down, um, you know, it's just continued to, to dwindle and dwindle in terms of interest. Uh, believe it or not, there actually is a decently vocal group that is pretty upset about the move. Um, I, you know, I think one part that's difficult to deny is just that it's tough for the coaches and kids on that team to be like, oh, yeah, this is this is definitely like, uh, you know, everything normal here, nothing to <laughs> see here. Like, obviously, that's not the case. Um, and there are some realities about the program that perhaps need to be visited or revisited down the road. So, um, but at the same time, I think largely UConn fans are optimistic. You know, if, if you're not, if you're not just a football fan, largely optimistic that they can make independence work and then, uh, really excited for what, what, you know, the basketball side of it means. But, but believe it or not, there are more people than you think who were, um, pretty upset about this. Uh, some canceled season tickets. Uh, some uh, just voiced a lot of displeasure on various uh, outlets where they can do that. But um, if, if for the group that we would call, you know, Husky football fans, there there was a, a a decent mix, and then everyone can acknowledge that this puts the coaches and players in a in a tough spot for sure. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say like how. Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. I was just gonna get this in real quick, but. Like if you're Randy Edsel, or you're one of the position coaches who's you know flying around the Northeast, around the country, trying to recruit kids to come to UConn, how do you sell that now? I, 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 I you know, yeah. hey guys, like you know, I know we're not in the American anymore, but you know, at least we'll play, we'll be able to play UMass. I mean, like I, I don't see, like that's such a tough sell for him, isn't it? Well, I think um, the recruiting point is definitely valid, where it's something that coaches can definitely recruit against them for. Um, I think it'll all come down to what the schedule looks like. You know, if if UConn can put together a schedule that is slightly more enticing to recruits in terms of regionality, um, it might be something where it helps them do a little bit better in New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Jersey, which, uh, I mean, New Jersey obviously has a lot of talent. The other three that I mentioned, not so much, but... Um, UConn has never really been 
even even in the heyday, UConn was never never lighting the world on fire from the recruiting standpoint. It was really about just finding those right kids who are a little bit under the radar. Uh, the problem recently has been that uh, because of the way things shook out, UConn is losing more and more of those kids to uh, Syracuse, Rutgers, BC, uh, you know, even Pittsburgh. So they're 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 good kids from Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Uh, believe it or not, and New York, New York City's actually been been growing in its talent, uh, but there are, um, you know, there's there's a version of events if the schedule plays out well to say to get to do a better job regionally recruiting, uh, you might lose, uh, uh, you know, you might lose the ability to recruit North Carolina because of the ties to to ECU or. Uh, Texas for sure. I mean, you know, I think in the American, UConn tried to get into Texas a little bit with with Diaco did at least, um, and and so has Randy Edsel. I believe we have a Caleb Thomas is a um, is from Texas. So you know, some I think some of the recruiting territory changes, but potentially UConn is in a more advantageous situation within its recruiting region, which. Um, for the caliber that UConn is looking for can make a difference. Do you think the yeah. football players and coaches feel that the school kind of stabbed them in the back? Cause I kind of you know, it felt like, from, you know, regardless where people agree with the move did not agree with the move, I think some people would argue that not all the issues that UConn have is related to the conference. Just because you move to the Big East, sure. I don't know, you know, there, there's some issues that still may persist. I mean, the Kevin Ali situation, uh, you know, if, if he would have been successful, we would even be having this conversation. And it just it just felt bad. I felt bad for Randy Etzel, who's been very classy uh, every time he's come down here to Orlando and, I, you know, through the years. And I just felt bad for the players that they got kind of sold down the river. At least that's how I felt from the outside. How is it from there? Yeah. Um, well, I'd, I'd say the players and the coaches are definitely two different groups. And uh, – I, I spoke with Jeff about this earlier, but I, I would be surprised if Randy Edsel, when he took the job, did not know that this was an option that was on the table. Um, it would be, it would be pretty surprising to me if, if um, this was not something that he knew would be a possibility. Um, and I think also potentially when we talk about how his time has gone since he got here, which I mentioned earlier, he just completely knocked it all down. It got it got much, much worse, uh, you know, from Diaco, but by design, he started a lot of young And to me, that's indicative of the fact that he had a long leash to rebuild. And potentially part of that is because they knew that there might be some volatility uh, in terms of conference moves. I mean, one thing that, um, you know, I will say about this, this move by UConn is that at the very least, they took matters into their own hands and were the first mover rather than, let's say, a an AAC team, a different AAC team leaving for, for whatever for whatever other reason, maybe getting a call up or, or what have you. And then now the AAC is crumbling and UConn is once again in the familiar position of, of looking for a life raft. So um, I think overall as an athletic department, it, it you know, that's that the justification for the move. And, and I think the players, um, no, you know, I, I totally feel for the players. Uh, I think, um, you know, you're, you're right to say the conference is not the massive, the, the, the only reason, 
for uh, the football or basketball team's lack of success. But um, I think also the players, if if you, um, you know, the players are used to lots of change, whether it's with head coaches or stadium situations or, or this, that, or the travel situations. So, um, you know, I think the they're used to things happening to them. And if, if uh, again, it's, it's going to really depend on what the schedule looks like in, in, instead of what we have. So if, if you go from the American to um, you're only, you're, you know, you're playing uh, FIU and New Mexico State and Middle Tennessee State uh, versus some of the more regional schools that I mentioned earlier, like your Syracuse, Boston College, um, even other kind of mid-tier F- FBS looking more across the region, like your North Carolina schools. Um, UConn just signed a series with Maryland, for you know, for example. I think if if UConn's able to put a schedule together that that just has a little bit more of a geographic center that that aligns to the state of Connecticut or the Northeast, where most of their players are from, uh, it could be something where the players see it as a benefit over. Um, what was a very uh, nationally dispersed AAC uh, travel schedule. Amon, the defense last year was, in some aspects, uh, the worst ever, possibly, in some aspects. However, there has been some, I think, significant statistical improvement, you know, even against some pretty decent opponents, and I know you guys have a new defensive coordinator, but really, yeah, and you mentioned some of the players already, but what has changed to where this defense is halfway respectable this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, like I mentioned earlier, Randy Edsel went super youth movement in a way that I, I, I don't, I can't pretend to know every single school and what they've done, but I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a two-deep uh, if you look through the the uh, the ones made public last year, I think you'd be hard pressed to find one with more freshmen and sophomores on it, um, or just you know overall average age. Uh, the thing about the defense being bad last year was that um, it was not a not a surprise. It's not like you know people were thinking this would be your mid two thousands Randy Edsel stout defense football team. Uh, so. Uh, What's what's changed is they've gotten some experience, and then uh, they did add uh, the grad transfer that I mentioned earlier in DJ Morgan. I think that's really helped solidify uh, them at linebacker. Um, they also got a grad transfer in the secondary, uh, but but really it's just that everyone got a year older, I think. Um, and they had they had enough guys who Edsel had been putting in since day one when they were true freshmen or and or redshirt freshmen, and. Uh, they, they uh, are are starting to get better, and I think that's you know that's the part where the Husky football fans find it really promising. Uh, though uh, obviously, clearly, they are still very much experiencing growing pains. Amon Kidwai from the UConn blog, uh, part of SB Nation's network, alongside us, joining us here. All right, I want to step forward to you know because we obviously we talked quite a bit about it, you know, with um, you know UConn leaving. Um, the American and you know, I, and that happens. That's 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 July thirtieth, right? Or excuse me, June thirtieth is their last day, and and they're moving into uh, Independence. I guess 
Um, we talked about this earlier, but I, I, my question for you would be, fast forward to 2025-2030, where do you think UConn, UConn football will be? Do you think they'll still be an FBS independent or will they move down to FCS and maybe join one of the leagues that they that perhaps they were in before they bumped up to FBS back in 2000? Or, or, or could you see a situation where UConn could drop football entirely? I doubt they drop football entirely. Uh, I think in 2025, I feel pretty confident predicting they'll be still FBS independent. Um, I think uh, they'll just have to see how it plays out and and make a decision in in you know for the for the 2030 part of your question. We'll just see how it plays out. Um, it would be impossible for anybody to predict what kind of shifts happen in in the NCAA's organizational structure in the mid 2020s when, when uh, everyone's TV contract runs out and uh, perhaps there's another. Uh, big land grab by some conference or maybe some new financial players enter the picture like the tech companies as so many people have have rumored or or, uh, postulated so um, really hard to predict 2030 it's it's um, uh, again impossible but I I think there is a non-zero chance they they do end up moving down to FCS uh, if independence doesn't work out and I think um, even then, as long as the the goal is to be a quality FCS program, uh, and and basketball stays in the Big East, I I don't think there would be too too much uh, about it. But I think um, it's it's obviously uh, acknowledging that certain aspirations that the athletic department had before uh, are no longer there, and that's probably what's the part that's uh, probably tougher for UConn fans to to grab a hold of, but um, your guess is as good as mine for, for 2030. Bring back the Yankee conference. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Elo. I mean, I'm good. I mean, he's addressed everything, I think, that, that has to be addressed. I'm just curious. Uh, have you heard any feedback on, I mean, we know basketball and football, but what about the other sports like baseball? We kind of found it amusing that, the baseball schedule came out early. They've got a great program, as you know. I mean, this they're going from a top baseball conference back to the Big East. What's been the reaction on the other sports uh, from UConn? So, yeah, I mean, I think baseball is the only one where clearly they, they have lost something. American was a great baseball conference, a lot of good teams. Uh, UConn was one of them. Uh, great, you know, great uh, postseason performance by the baseball team, and uh, I think it's been helpful for them uh, I can't I can't profess to know too too much about the recruiting of uh, on the baseball team but I think a lot of their players are from the Northeast anyway um, I think UConn has been able was even before the American still putting guys in the majors George Springer is a big East UConn guy that's the uh, former uh, World Series MVP uh, and a lot of other Huskies actually across the majors, but um, I think no no doubt baseball took a loss in terms of quality of schedule. I think um, baseball has enough going forward in terms of its history, the fact that there's a new stadium being built, new practice facilities that uh, will buoy uh, buoy them. And then for the rest of the athletic department, I think they're all you know with all due respect to everybody involved, but I think. 
the the women's volleyball team is pretty excited to not have to make multiple trips to Texas and Oklahoma every year. Um, so I think ba- baseball is definitely the one that loses something, but um, I, I don't think it's something massively significant. It's not like being in the AAC opened up new recruiting territory for the baseball team. I don't hard data on that, but um, so, I mean, it's definitely a loss, I think for both UConn baseball and for the American to lose um, to go their separate ways, nonetheless. But uh, Amon Kidwai from the UConn blog, uh, make sure you hit up the UConn Thank blog you. on Twitter and the UConnblog.com, part of the SB Nation uh, network. When we return, we'll fix, uh, we'll, we'll check in with some of the other sports for UCF uh, and uh, see what else is going on uh, around. Well, we got some, we got some golf news to pass along to you. Stick around. We'll be right back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. Let's uh, talk about some news and some of the other sports we have. A big week for both soccer squads, women's soccer and men's soccer, with, uh, um, with a couple big victories. First of all, women's soccer went out to California. I don't care who you're playing out in California. It's a tough road trip, whoever you're playing out there. I don't care if it's UCLA and Stanford or, um, or, or UC Santa Cruz and San Jose State. It's... It's hard to go from Florida all the way out to the West Coast and and get a couple of victories. And women's soccer did that. They beat Long Beach State on a goal-ahead goal by uh, Ellie Moreno in the 90th minute. And a couple days later, they go to UC Irvine and uh, and beat them in overtime on a golden goal from uh, Kristen Scott. So two dramatic wins for UCF women's soccer, and they are heating up Eric Lopez. They've won five straight heading into conference play, and they're opening conference play with uh, Memphis, who's ranked number 11 in the coaches' poll. Um, UCF not even re- uh, is, or actually is receiving votes in the United Soccer Coaches, um, and their RPI, the RPI for women's soccer came out for the first uh, really? this oh, time. Wow. Yeah, okay, Nine, UCF is 96th in the RPI right What's now. the number? 96th. So they have a ways to climb, uh, but they can climb quite a bit. the other teams? All right, so let's see. We have uh, – That will definitely move up. if That makes this match against Memphis even bigger on Thursday night yeah. while you look that up. Because Memphis, is the, Memphis, Memphis is the highest American team. They're at 42. SMU's at 52, and UCF's at 96. There's So UCF's the third highest RPI. It's not a good RPI year for – oh, excuse me, well, South Florida – Excuse me, South Florida is 16th. I beg your pardon. I was, I was, uh, I was wrong on that. But, uh, no, but no, USF's yeah, off to a good, a good start. I'm a little surprised by those numbers. That's why I'm a little caught off guard. Uh, they're clearly different than the polls because Memphis is ranked 11th. SMU's ranked, I believe, in the top 25. USF right. is actually receiving votes, as is UCF. Now, it is early, and this would help it out because Memphis, of course, won the conference tournament last year. They have another great team, Brooks Monaghan, who's been the head coach there forever. I mean, this this rivalry goes back to Conference USA days when they were playing for Conference USA championships. Yeah. Memphis knocked off UCF last year in the American yeah. Conference semis. Yeah, and, and it's Tampa. there's no love loss between these two schools going back to that because every UCF Memphis women's soccer game I've seen has been chippy, right? Yep, yep, yep. No, that's accurate. I've talked to former players about it. 
Memphis is their big rival because there was always the two they're battling for the conference. And if you're UCF and you want to go through the conference, it's going to start with this matchup against Memphis. And this is a big one, and they're really good. Uh, they're dynamic offensively. Uh, they're, they're, they've outscored their opponents 27-3 to through nine games, averaging three goals a match, led by wow. uh, Clarissa Laresi, who has started uh, really has been one of their top leading goal scorers in the, in the sport. And they have a great goalie in Elizabeth Moberg. So this is a big challenge for UCF. Um, you're right. I think they're peaking at the right time. And it is a big match because you mentioned that RPI really surprises. I mean, it's low. Go figure. You can't figure out RPIs. But this is a huge match. Go, Even though I know it's only the first match, it's a huge match. Because if you look at the conference outlook, Memphis, South Florida, those going in was probably the two best teams going in. you got to go through those two teams. And I think UCF, and I'm going to throw SMU in there, want to crash that. And it's going to be fascinating to see the matchup and the styles there and how UCF defensively matches up with Memphis offensively. Uh, I, I'm, I can't wait to see this match. I'm actually going to try to go out there. Uh, there's going to be some former, there's going to be some Orlando Pride players out there. Yeah, it's Orlando Bridget Pride Callahan. Night. Bridget Callahan is yep. going to be there. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, big, it's big Orlando match. Pride big Night match. Thursday at 6 at the Track and Soccer Complex. And then they followed up by playing Tulsa Sunday at 1. Tulsa's RPI is bad. They're 211, but. Um, you're hoping that the 42 will at least overtake that 211 somewhat uh, for UCF women's soccer. So 5-1-2, and two, trying to extend that win streak as they go into uh, conference play. Speaking of also entering conference play, men's soccer. Um, ripped off another big week, and they got a big win down in Fort Myers against Florida Gulf Coast, um, who's a, a, a team who's receiving votes in the top 25. And UCF goes down there and drops four goals on them, two from Cal Jennings and... Two from uh, Gino Vivi, uh, who um, one of the newcomers on the team, to get a 4-1 to win. And then, that was last Wednesday, and then they come back and get the victory over South Carolina on Sunday with Jennings again scoring a goal. So uh, that's six straight unbeaten for UCF men's soccer as they're 5-1-1, one, and one, and they move up in the United Soccer Coaches to number 12 as they start uh, uh, conference play against Temple on Friday at seven, uh, so this is uh, so. So now UCF men's soccer finds themselves kind of in the catbird seat. No, they are. I mean, Cal Jennings. I mean, it's a broken record. The guy's a machine. Uh, he could score it all, but he's getting scoring from elsewhere, and they're clicking on all. So they dominated that South Carolina match on Sunday. They outshot South Carolina twenty-three to three. Never met a shot they didn't like. <laughs> That's what exactly. I keep saying about that team. Never met a shot they didn't like. <laughs> and what's going to be fascinating about this matchup is they're going to play a Temple team that only defensively allows seven shots per match so far yeah. this year. So this is a kind of a strength versus strength. Temple's very good defensively, tries to keep the ball away, you know, help their defense, whereas UCF likes to attack. So it's going to be a fascinating matchup from that standpoint. Temple does not want to get into a shootout. Uh, they've only averaged 0.67 goals this year so far this year. They've only allowed an average of one goal per match. They've they've given up six goals. They've only scored four. So they're not a firepower offense. So if you're UCF, you you jump on Temple and make it you then make them chase you. You don't want to get into a situation where maybe you know Temple has confidence, has maybe the ball control, and you're in the 80th minute and it's a scoreless match and you have no rhythm. So yeah. that's going to be the thing to look for in that match. Cal Jennings, by the way, with seven goals on the season, tied for sixth in the nation. The leader is Kimarni Smith, who's all of Clemson, who's all by himself with nine. Uh, 
four players with eight, including Jordan Hall of UConn, and actually another guy for for Clemson, uh, Robbie Robinson, who has eight. So Clemson has 17 goals from two guys this year. So um, so that'll give you an idea of what uh, what Cal is up to. But as we head into conference play, this is going to start to get really interesting. Um, volleyball. Tough weekend for volleyball as they hosted the Sunshine Classic. This is a tournament that's gone on for four years, a contract between UCF, Miami, Florida Gulf Coast, and FAU, where they would play each other, and each time they would host it once over four years. So this is UCF's turn to host. Started out by playing Florida Gulf Coast, who you'll remember um, – a Sun champions last year beat UCF in the first round with with some injuries on the UCF side um, of the NCAA tournament, um, and the Eagles came in and man did they look good. Um, beat UCF in four. Then the following day, UCF had a pair of uh, had, had a pair of games or pair of matches rather. Forced Miami to five after falling down two nothing, but then couldn't come up with it in um, in the fifth set. Miami got the victory, but then the Knights finished off the weekend with a victory over uh, FAU in rather short order. Uh, did it, Beat them up in three. Um, so right now, UCF Volleyball is 7-5 and five overall as they start conference play um, at home against UConn on Friday at 7 and then Temple Sunday at noon. So this is, uh, so as UCF, I think it was really important. I was there for all three matches. It was really important for UCF to get that last match against FAU, the 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 Miami match was kind of a coin flip, um, but I think there were some issues that might have been uncovered in that FGCU match in terms of um, in, in terms of you know how UCF approaches the attack. But um, I think you mostly have to just give credit to FGCU because they were all over the place on defense. I think UCF ran their offense actually fairly well, but um, but. FGCU defensively is so fast and so good, especially their libero, Dana Axner, who's just a sophomore. I mean, she's going to be a real problem. She might be one of the best liberos in the country, and that's not a joke either. Um, every opportunity UCF had, they were able to dig out. So you got uh, so UCF has to look forward to conference play now with Friday and Sunday um, and try and get up and ahead of uh, their side of the, uh, the league here for – um, UCF volleyball and um, two sets, uh, two things to pass along from golf. Men's golf won uh, their tournament in Hartford, the Hartford Hawks Invitational. They finished in first place, minus twenty six as a team. And women's golf, we might have a budding star for UCF women's golf and Emily Marin, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Tonrada, Tonrada Pitten. She's from Thai. She's from Thailand. Um, she's she goes by Pat. So Pat Pitten uh, finished first overall. She was the top medalist at the Mason Rudolph Championship in Nashville. This was this is a tournament that is not named after the backup quarterback. But um, Pitten finishes overall first place with six under par. Under par, she was uh, she was under the line in all three rounds. Um, and uh, and she became the individual, uh, and she won the individual medalist in just her second collegiate start. And UCF is now 14th in the in the Golf Week college rankings in women's golf. So, um, so uh, Emily Marin's crew making some noise, Eric. 
pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Just building on the momentum from last year, where they had the great run deep in the hole in the tournament, and yeah, looks like we could be in for another banner year there. Uh, top twenty-five. Danny White talks about it. We're almost yeah. there, right? Men's soccer top twenty-five. Women's soccer getting votes. Football's ranked. Golf ranked. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a lot to keep up. It with. just it's keeps on the half. It just keeps on going, doesn't it, Brian Murphy? What do you got coming up for us this week, Murphy? Well, I. Uh... We'll be uh, contributing once again to the nice round table, which I contributed to last week, but then people forgot about me and posted it without my responses in it. So I put my responses in late. <laughs> uh, other than that, I will have my uh, UCF checklist or whatever we want to call it uh, against UConn. That'll I love that. Very, I love that so much. <laughs> probably be very UCF-centric. Usually I, I like to make that article – about the other team, about the matchups on the other team that we need to watch for, but for this game, it's probably going to be very UCF-centric because I'm not exactly sure what... Uh, well, <laughs> now that we've talked to Amon, I'd know a little more, but uh, you know, I don't know if there's any matchups that strike me as threatening, I'll say this, just for this game. And also, pour one out for Bo Taylor, who got designated for assignment tonight from the Oakland Athletics. No. Uh, so now UCF, current major leaguers, is down to Drew Butera, Eric Skoglin, and uh, is that it? I feel like there's one more that I'm forgetting. But the the, the fact is is that we're running low, and we need guys um, uh, like uh, Thad Ward and Jason Barr to really start coming up here. Uh, Eric, what you got? That's touching, Murph. Um, well, I will not be on the round table this week. I had a, I, I actually – debated because of my performance last week's roundtable being so wrong that I got crow. I actually was debating <laughs> I was going to redshirt the rest of the year because I felt oh, it, I would be better boy. next year. But, oh but I had a meeting with Jeremy. We had a very sit-down meeting, and he calmed me down. So I'm just going to take this week off from the roundtable, and I'm going to focus on I'm going to be at the women's soccer match Thursday. Memphis, UCF, huge match Thursday night. I might be trying to go out Friday night, uh, men's soccer and Temple. I know volleyball going at the same time. I'm going to see if certain things work. Jeremy will be with Murph on Saturday at the Spectrum Stadium for UCF and UConn, the final uh, uncivil, you know, civil conflict. Uh, so they'll have that cover. I will be entertained by Jeff Telestrator at, right after the game on the night <laughs> shift post game, uh, And then Sunday I'm going to volleyball Jeffrey – Noon, right? Noon, yep. first serve. Noon start. Uh, and then maybe even take a peek at women's soccer, which is at 1 o'clock. It's a very busy week, so I'm going to focus on the other sports while I'll let Brian and Jeremy focus on football there at the site. And then on the on the site itself, you can check out my article on the TV numbers for the Pittsburgh game and what it means as they are uh, moving forward. Very unique because it was regional coverage, but it did very good numbers on that. And then as well as our three-night stars of the week, which is very soccer-heavy because we're a soccer school as well. So a lot That's of right. fun there, but I'm not going to redshirt for the year and quit on, on you guys Don't just because we lost. I'm not gonna do I, I forgot to mention a little earlier two guys that, um, that are Central Florida guys who are coming back to UCF with UConn. Um, you remember he, uh, he talked about Mike Beaudry, uh, Amon did, the backup quarterback for UConn. Uh, grad student who came over from UWF. Well, he actually went to Haggerty High School. So, Beaudry, I wonder if they'll put him in there um, uh, since he went to high school right up the road from campus. 
uh, that would be nice if they got the opportunity to give him that. And then uh, also Malik Dixon, freshman defensive back for UConn, who uh, is uh, a graduate of Wakaiva High School. So two Central Florida guys who we'll see this Saturday with UConn, which I'll be following that one from afar. But make sure you join me and Jeremy and hopefully Eric and a few more people on uh, on night shift, which we'll, we'll we'll do immediately after the game because it's a late game. We're not going to wait a few hours. In cause... honor of Murph, I, I I drank coffee this week for the first time in a few years, and I'll have some coffee for that uh, night shift. Ah, you don't have for to you, do Murph. That. <laughs> and then Just for you, uh, Murph. I'll be I'll be at volleyball these two uh, for their two matches as well, Friday and uh, Friday and Sunday to start the conference play. So. Um, so and by the way, by the way, before anybody asks, no, Murph's not going to give out a game ball for door on a loss. Sorry. All right. I know no game ball. Looking- and no and game by ball. the way, before anybody complains, I forgot to mention Dylan Moore. That's the guy I forgot. There you go. I, I knew there were. I Only think the there was one more. <laughs> Only the guy you interviewed in person a few weeks ago. The guy I talked to in person I, last Dylan, month. Dylan, I hope you're not listening. If you are, Murph is really sorry. He really by is. Wait. By the way, I just checked because now I'm obsessed. I, Dylan has an OPS of, of 800 in his last 50 at-bats. Look at this. He's killing it. You talked to him, he's turned his game around? He's killing it. He's, He's not. He's not. He's not doing too bad. So as we wrap up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, don't forget to um, hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Good luck with that forty-three and a half number this week, all you guys out there. Uh, for uh, Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you on night shift after UCF and UConn on Saturday night. Enjoy the weekend.